Hello, 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 listeners. This is your host, Chuck Tuck, with Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. Today, in this podcast, season number two, episode 64, I had a great time. I love photography, and this was a conversation with a couple of uh, award-winning photographers. In fact, Nita and Rob's work has been featured um, on NBC TV's Open Road, In Time, Mother Jones, the Sierra Magazine, New York Times, the Washington Post, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the Los Angeles Times. So they've put a lot of work into this book of theirs. And it is like over five pounds. It's huge. The other thing, too, is on wildflowers. The California wildflowers. So this makes a fantastic gift any time of the year, and especially with any season that's coming up. Like, I think Mother's Day is right around the corner, but depends on when you're listening to this. Anyhow, so let's go ahead and get right into this right after this announcement. Rob, Nita, Nita, Rob, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Chuck. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what? I could not resist and could not say no to fellow photographers. But you are, well, thank you. You know, you're actually, you're really more than photographers. You're, you're a uh, conservationist. You, I would call, what I would say, you're, you're really like field scientists for the work that you do. That's how I look at it. Because you're, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, you're really making a difference. And you, you've been doing uh, this for so long that you have studied and become experts at California flowers, native California flowers, and you have that award-winning tabletop book too. So where is that book? Uh, five and a half pounds, so it's a big, Woo! beefy beauty book. and the beast. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, let's see if we can open it to give you a sense of what's inside. It's twenty-seven years, well, probably close to thirty years of of wild. <laughs> <laughs> Of wildflower photography, almost exclusively on public lands throughout the West, and we focused a lot on California after we did our first exhibit at the San Francisco Main Library's Jewett Gallery. We were invited to do an exhibit uh, focusing on just California native plants as opposed to all the uh, wildflowers we had been documenting uh, across the Western states. So... uh, the book focuses on California wildflowers. Wow. Well, what really made the two of you get into wildflowers? Flowers? Because, Rob, were, you were a portrait photographer, or were you? A, I you was a portrait, portrait photographer. Okay. I was a people photographer. If it moved, I didn't photograph it. <laughs> so, how did this really come about? With If going into this wildflower photography. I know, like you said, 27 years you've put into the book, so you've been doing it probably for nearly 30 years? Yeah, well, I started photographing nature back in, like, the late 60s. I I just wanted to be a a landscape photographer like the, you know, Ansel Adams and all the other beautiful uh, images that other people were creating. And then... After going through a lot of public lands, I mean, going to visit a lot of 
public lands to where all these beautiful spaces were preserved, you know, I'd, I'd see what was going on outside of the public lands, like mining and forestry and human development and all that stuff. So I thought, well, what can I do with the talent that I've developed to help save these lands and to promote conservation and promote the awareness of environmental issues. Can I interrupt for a second? Please. Actually, a lot of the mining and logging was happening on public land. It just wasn't in national parks. Yeah. It was in Forest Service land. And, and BLM lands and yeah. things like that. Mm. And so um, I was in a lab in San Francisco in 1992 getting some film developed. And I came across a friend of mine, Liz Hymans, who said she had uh, just heard that the Antelope Valley, California Poppy Reserve in the westernmost extension of the Mojave Desert, which is like about an hour's north of Los Angeles, was having a really, really incredible year after six years of so-so and not much happening there. The California, uh, the Antelope Valley, California Native Poppy Preserve was set aside as a California state park to protect the state flower, which is the California poppy. So she said, you know, I'm sure you've been to the poppy reserve and photographed it. And I said, no, 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 I haven't. She said, really? You're a landscape photographer in California and you ever see the poppy reserve? And I said, no. She said, well, we have to go. So a couple of days later, she and another friend of ours went down and I, I, I just couldn't believe what it was I saw. There were just acres and acres of these beautiful, intense orange California poppies uh, in this preserve. And what made it so special this year was that there was an abundance of these purple-tipped bird's eye gilia uh, blossoms that were interspersed within these intense orange California poppy blossoms. And I just stood there uh, and watched wave after wave of wind move across these uh california poppies just it was like just just mesmerizing so i called nita that evening and i said you just have to see this she was back in san francisco i was i was on assignment i had a people assignment so i hadn't gone i was six i I was six hours away so um, i drove back a couple days later got nita and we you know witnessed this together and that's what started our interest in photographing wildflowers. Even though I was a people photographer, my degree in college was biology. Oh. So I had a very strong interest in nature and, and uh, uh, you know, the natural world. And so when we both saw that, it was like, oh, we've got to keep doing this. This is really special. Well, so it took a number of years before it actually turned into a project as far as Beauty and the Beast, Wildflowers and Climate Change, mm -hmm. uh, which Rob submitted as a project to a nonprofit called Blue Earth Alliance, who um, helps support photographers who are doing conservation work and uh, work on endangered um, communities, cultures, cultures and uh, social justice. And so they're a nonprofit that helps you raise grants through them to become a sponsored project of Blue Earth Alliance. So after seeing that first bloom in 1992, it put wildflowers on our radar. And uh, then there was an incredible bloom in California's deserts in 1998. Uh, there was an 
high rainfall in El Nino rain year that happened and it spread a whole lot of water across the southwest deserts and California's deserts. So uh, at that time, these blooms didn't happen that frequently. Uh, so they were called hundred year blooms because it took it was on average a hundred years before all the conditions came together to uh, produce these incredible, you know, f uh, carpets of flowers in many different colors. Um, so we started our uh, real focus on wildflower photography in 1998. Uh, and this incredible bloom, we went to Death Valley, we went to Joshua Tree National Park, and we spent a month out there photographing. We were doing film then, and uh, it was really difficult to do close-up photography with a camera that I was using. But when digital photography came in, um, it made it a whole lot easier to do macro photography because I could see we could see what we were, what we were getting and higher higher speeds. Yeah. We could work with the wind and that type of thing, and still keep good quality. So the 1998 bloom in the in California's and Southwest deserts was really what got us uh, intensely focused on wildflowers. And then it was, well, you know, what can we do with this? I had been an environmental photographer, you know, like I said earlier, photographing uh, environmental issues like mining and logging. And I just got so depressed going to all these places where there was so much, you know, so much damage being done. And, uh, you know, we we were thinking, what could we do with positive, beautiful imagery to get people's attention, to attract them to the beauty that's left on our public lands and, you know, do something to preserve it. And then climate change came more and more into people's awareness. And we realized, you know, like everything else, flowers were going to be affected uh, they're, they're, you know, the climate that these flowers lived in and then all the species that depended upon them, they were going to be impacted as climate change uh, changed what rainfall they'd get, what the timing was of natural events like pollinators. And so um, we decided there was a message we could tell the wildflower story through beautiful imagery and uh, hope to get you know, give people hope and inspiration to do something. Mm. Uh, it's, I to my left, I have your website and the image, you know, some of the images of cycling through and while you're talking about that, I'm just looking at the corner of my eyes and seeing the beauty that the desert offers with these oh, wildflowers. It, it is, it's really mm -hmm. amazing. And Rob, how you're saying that when the wind blows, I can just picture just, as far as I can see, or just acres and acres, where it just is in that motion, just like yeah. a wave. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was just hypnotic. You just want to stand there and just never go. You know, it's 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 not like seeing a static landscape. There's, like you said, you can imagine this this beautiful color moving. And Rob and I both grew up in New England which is very different as far as these massive um, super blooms and, um, and the openness of the, of the desert. So for us, it was something really new and really special that we wanted to, to capture. And fortunately, the, 
most of the flowers come out in the spring when it's still relatively cool in the desert um, because I don't like the heat. So we actually haven't made it to the monsoon season, which is towards the end of the summer, where another set of different flowers come out after the thunderstorms that come through during the monsoon season. So part of our our comfort also impacted what we did and didn't do, (laughs) Um, as well as the access to... um, If we couldn't access a flower without destroying something around it, we didn't do it. We would go and try to find a different specimen. So we were very careful. We never picked flowers. They were always still attached to the plant. And if we couldn't access them, we didn't. We just, we were very respectful Mm. and so in love with these flowers. There was no way we could kill them. We had to be, had to find ways. And Rob would, would carry 65 pounds of equipment lighting equipment, camera equipment, I would carry probably 25 pounds worth. And we would set up natural light studios to do the individual uh, flower portraits. So it was a combination of these massive landscapes and very intimate portraits. Mm. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I was going to say one thing that I'm really glad that the two of you said is that you're very careful not to disturb, destroy that environment because so many people – the everyday photographer, they, they may see something and then they walk over to it, but they're trampling on top of the uh, the fungi, the mushrooms, all that stuff, and destroying that or other um, vegetation just to get to the one flower. But it's, it's good to hear that you are aware to not do that, and hopefully people catch on that you don't want to destroy something to get to something that's beautiful because you're destroying what's beautiful already. Yeah. Yeah, and there have been situations where, especially now with social media that promotes these beautiful blooms in Lake Elsinore a few years back, they had to actually close the trails and access to the area because people were tromping over the poppies, which are very fragile, to do selfies, you know, and to Mm. take pictures and without regard to the fact that, well, they think, oh, there are thousands of them, I can kill a few, where it won't really matter, but it really destroys it for everyone else as well as the, the plants themselves that have a right to be there. Yeah. Uh, Rob, I, it's, like I said, I want to keep this kind of open. And, of course, uh, this is about conservation, the wildflowers, about your book, but also about photography because there are so many people. And like Nita, you're saying now that with the Internet and the popularity of your book, it's drawn attention to a lot of these public lands and even uh, – national parks but people do those selfies and they trample on things so rob what i wanted to ask you is what skills did it take to become a great landscape portrait photographer of of flowers i mean aside from nita helping you out there all the time and doing lugging around stuff and setting things up i'm sure and well um one thing we emphasize is the photographs are his, hers, and ours. And Beautiful. and it's a lot of hours in two ways. Hours meaning the two of us, and hours meaning spending hours on the ground <laughs> to actually photograph these flowers. We figured out at one point, uh, I was just, you know, we were wondering how long did it take to do the average flower over like a series of a couple months. We kept time. So it 
it, it takes about an average of an hour to do the flower from the time we take our equipment off, set up the backgrounds, put the tripod down, move it around, take different views, look at it, you know, make sure we're very careful. Need is always, you know, checking where my boots are that I'm not digging up into something. You know, she's she's the good flower cop there. <laughs> and um, so... It just it just took a lot of practice. I didn't I had, I hadn't done any of this before, but I was fortunate that I'd worked with Nita in you know the portraits that she had done to set up lighting, to set up to to fuse light and and reflectors. So we brought that knowledge of of a portrait technique, which is what you're doing when you're photographing a flower. You know, you're showing this 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 beautiful species in in its best light so we'd experiment with light we'd use direct sunlight on something then put it in in diffuse light put black backgrounds and white backgrounds so it was just experimenting to see what it was that showed again what showed the flower in its best light and i was talking to a photographer friend of ours yesterday and I said, boy, you should see some of the images that I did 15 years ago. You know, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 I, there's no way that I'd show them, but, but the whole process evolved. And so much of it, and, you know, I guess the basic answer to your question is just practice and patience. And for this, slow for, down. Slow, yeah, I have really a lot of, down. I have a lot of patience for doing this. Not a lot of patience for a lot of other things, but, <laughs> but you know, once I'm there on the ground, either on my knees or on my stomach, and Nita does the same thing too. I, I just happen to do. He's willing to suffer more than I am, and he's a <laughs> yeah. Capricorn, so he's really good with yeah. detail. And I was known as a kid. As a kid, I was known as eagle eyes because I was really, I have this amazing eyesight to see things and find things. And so often, especially at the beginning, I was the one who would find the flowers. Over the years, Rob got better and better at actually finding flowers as well. But for me, it was like a treasure hunt. Let's go see not only what flowers we can find, but what's the best specimen that we want to photograph. Uh, but I... Oh, I was gonna say my 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 question and comment earlier, and when I said Rob and Nita carrying things, I didn't want to diminish diminish what oh, no, Nita no. does because Rob, you actually you answered what I was going to make a comment and say Nita's probably the lighting expert and professional because of the portrait because lighting is no. so important. Uh oh, no. uh oh. Well, he was my assistant often when I was doing people photography, so I, they both had the experience. Well, I learned. Um, I, we're both good at it because I'll try something and then she'll suggest something or then, you know, so it really takes the two of us to create what it is we're, we're doing. Um, but I got, I got really good at because I'm always looking through the camera from the best vantage point of trying to think, well, do we need to fill light in here? If we've got a white background, the sun's coming through it, it's kind of putting this glow around it, then we have to fill light back in because what I'm looking at is in shadow. So I have the best vantage point. So I'm the one usually thinking of what the options are. But Nita's good at suggesting stuff too. It's just really an equal thing, but I spend most of the time doing it. 
On the ground. Yeah. On the ground. Yeah. yeah. And then I've done most of the landscapes because I've I've been doing you know, landscape photography for fifty years, so that's kind of my my strength. There are there are nice landscape images in the book that Nita did that I wish I had found and seen. Uh, I, I was going to save this comment for the end, but I'm just going to say it right now because the way that the two of you are together and constantly say his, hers, mine, ours is such a delight just as uh, a couple or as fellow you know, professionals working in the same field. So I just want to say that 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 is I'm going to get that out of the way. That is beautiful, wonderful. Um, so well, gosh, thank you. I wish I had a partner like that where she would fix things and tell me how to do things. And Well, it really makes a difference when you can work as a team and have that type of ability to give each other feedback and support. And, and, uh, this work never would have happened by either one of us alone. So it really became a, a true, uh, team, team team sweetie. Yeah. We we call call it team sweetie. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of that again. So where can people go to find out more information about the wildflowers and about your beauty and the beast giant table book? Well, you can go to wildflower, singular, books, plural, wildflowerbooks.com, and you can purchase books, both the regular edition book plus special deluxe limited edition books. And then we also have resources where you can uh, find out more about flowers or nature sounds. Um, There's also a video section where you can listen to our uh, 45-minute talk where we actually have the images and the setups so you can actually see much of what we're talking about here um, on that website as well. Um, oh, um, and just one more thing I wanted to add. You asked the question about technique and learning and experience. Um, at first, we started putting just black and white backgrounds, fabric backgrounds behind the plants, and then that just got kind of s- sort of boring so I came up with the idea of wrapping uh, either a black or white fabric around the plant uh, to add this, you know, compositional elements, you know, the lines and the curves uh, accentuated, you know, certain elements in the flower that we were looking at. And then I kind of got bored with that. And so I found a way. Or, to be... Plus, you can't do it if there was any any breeze yeah. because it just blew the folds away. Mm-hmm. And so then I found a way to get the flower gently in contact, the petals of the flower gently in contact with the front of the lens. And uh, I created a series called the Contact Series. And what's interesting about that, as opposed from a strict botanical portrait where everything is in focus, there's a limited focus. The light is uh, coming through the plant because the camera and the lens is keeping the light from falling on the flower itself. So the light is being transmitted, uh, reflected off the background. So you get this pretty translucent effects. And as far as I know, I'm the only one that does that. But it was just always trying to show the, the flower in a, in a different light, you know, in a more engaging way, in a different way to really evoke the beauty you know the the gift of beauty that this plant was 
giving us is it, um, it's just and another way to uh, ex experience what you know this beauty that nature has evolved over you know how many thousands or millions of years yeah uh, it's truly amazing that 27 years you've put into creating this beautiful book yet you still have this love and passion and you could tell in your explanation your voice your faces on that one subject wildflowers where you hear a lot of photographers i don't know what to take a picture of i don't know what to shoot i don't know i've already done this i've already done that but it sounds like like you said it takes patience time and to me passion of that that subject what you're doing uh, speaking of that are are you working on any new projects or anything like that new flower projects or is that all the time it's constant well um we're actually one of the things we want to do is is create an audio described version of the book for the visually impaired so if you can't see the book or you can't see it very well or you don't um you can't read english you're not able to read English. We want to create an audio version. And our descriptions of the images will be accompanied with descriptions of the environment. What was it like? Was there just one flower? Was there a field of flowers? Was it hot? Was it cold? Were there bugs? Were there birds? And we'll be working with Bernie Krauss, who's a world-renowned soundscape ecologist, and using his recordings to, il to illustrate the environment that we were in. And so that's wow. one of the things that we're in the process of raising funds to be able to create this book. Um, because as far as we know, it's never been done before. Making oh, a coffee table book amazing. and making it accessible to those that are visually impaired. And that idea came to us because we have a friend who's been losing her eyesight and is now legally blind. And we have a routine of, of describing where we are or what we're seeing to her. And she says it, it helps her in her mind's eyes get back into nature and connect with nature. So we decided to make it a whole project and, and possibly even taking our traveling exhibit, which has been seen by 50,000 people okay. and doing That's an right. online version of that, which will include some of these recordings as well. And one of the things we, wow. we didn't mention is that uh, Rob mentioned that there was our first exhibit, which was the California Wildflowers and Climate Change. It became, it was 100 images. It started at the San Francisco Main Library at the Jewett Gallery. And half of it was picked up by Exhibit Envoy. And they've been traveling the exhibit around the state. And it's been seen by 50,000 people so far. And right now it's at the Jewish Community Center in San Francisco. And we have an artist reception March 4th, uh, 2022, which is this Friday, where we'll do our live presentation. It'll be our first live presentation yeah. since the book, oh. um, well, since COVID, because we started, right. uh, we had to shut down. We I think we had two live events, book signings, and then it went virtual at that point. And then if, for people who are in San Diego, we... San Diego Natural History Museum created their own custom large print version of our exhibit called California Blooming, Wildflowers and Climate, Climate Change in the Golden State. 
And some of their images, some of our images, are 12 feet tall. Wow. Okay. So I got to ask your um, semi-technical-ish question then. And, and I, I want I like to try to stay away from brands, but when if you're 12 feet, what are you shooting with in the digital format? It's, it's a medium format digital, or are you doing just the uh, the regular standard size? Oh. Uh, we, we we counted beginning in, in 1992. 92, I was using medium format film, which was two and a quarter inches square film, you know, which a is Hasselblad. really a uh, Hasselblad. Uh, currently, I'm using a Sony A7R Mark III. It's a 42 megapixel camera that gives us great resolution. You can make really large enlargements um we use 10 different cameras 12 12 different cameras including an iphone in the yeah. book the the first real digital camera i got was only a 17 megapixel camera it cost eight thousand dollars back then and then we upgraded to another eight thousand dollar camera and then another eight thousand dollar camera and then went to sony you know three different sony's they were like thirty five hundred dollars each and you so know. it's been quite the investment. Yeah. And one of the reasons we yeah. went so large was not just for this project, but in order to pay for the work we were doing, we were selling work for um, hospital art, not only framed art, but also installation work so that architects were making pieces eight feet tall by 20 feet wide, uh, translucent lobby dividers, for example. And we realized we really needed big files to do that. Do you two, do you own processing, uh, you know, the Photoshop deal and things like that? Um, yes, as it was definitely a learning curve it. going from film to, to digital. Um, and over the years, we've gotten quite good, especially Rob in um, Photoshop. Again, he's got the patience mm -hmm. for all the detail. And uh, for me, it's like it's good enough. And uh, sometimes it is good enough and you have to stop. <laughs> Because um, I remember when I used to print black and white, I, oh, well, let me just do one more print. Let me, and then I have all the dry prints and I can't, re couldn't remember which was the last one. So it was like, I didn't really need to do that. But we um, also have a 44 inch printer. And so we do our own oh, prints in house as well, which is really nice. Not only the, the flowers, but we also have a whole series that we've done with birds in um, refuges, which are really uh, popular for the healthcare. Okay. Now, your limited edition books that you, you mentioned, are those books that are signed by the two of you, yeah. or are there um, ways that people, when they order, they can have a special edition or whatever that's signed? Signed and numbered. Yeah. And it oh, has good. a special clamshell box and a special cover that it comes with. So it's a it's a deluxe version and a, and a uh, vellum tip-in page, which has our signature and the number. And again, it, that is at wildflowerbooksplural.com, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, it's, I, I, it, it leaves me kind of speechless as far as, like I said, the images to my left are just cycling through, and they are beautiful. Thank you. I mean, really nice. I'm, I'm looking at the corner of my eye, and I'm looking at the ones that have the violet flowers right now with the 
might be the background is the black that you're talking about that you put something back oh, there. Yeah, we always put a, the background in the field. You put a white background. It could be white, could be plexiglass fabric or a diffusion disc, which lets the light mm-hmm. through a translucent one, um, or a black fabric. And it took us quite a few different fabrics to find the right one that didn't pick up every piece of stick and leaf and dirt and whatnot. Um, save us time in Photoshop to not clean out, have to clean up all of that. Um, so that's, you know, that's one reason why Rob was carrying so much equipment because we had all the backgrounds and stakes and that type of thing to be able to do it out in the field. And it's what we called uh, our natural light studio. And you want to explain why we decided not to do strobe? Well, but I've, I've seen a lot of beautiful uh wildflower photographs that were created with strobes, like two strobes. But um, there's just a limited amount that you can do with that kind of lighting. Uh, it's very it's very convenient, but after a while, a lot of the images start to look the same. And so uh, using natural light, using diffusers to make the light softer, using reflectors to bounce light in. We had much more control. Um, or even deciding to mix sunlight and yeah. diffused light or reflectors. And, and sometimes there'd be surprises. We didn't know. We start with just a diffuser and the light would shift. And we'd end up with a little bit of light coming through petals. And it was something that we often really liked. And the disadvantage to that using natural light is that is is just a slightest breeze would uh, you know make it impossible to to uh, to photograph. For example, that picture of the hummingbird in the background at the scarlet fritillary. Well, that uh, scarlet fritillary lily was about three feet tall, and just the slightest breeze that would move that. So I was waiting and I was waiting for the uh, for the movement to stop. And I happened to have my eye on the viewfinder and the remote release in my hand. I see the hummingbird come in there and I get two frames and it's gone. Uh, and you I, were working at a high enough speed because of the movement of the flowers yeah. to be able to... to um, get some of the wing movement? So, I mean, the basic answer is that we had more light options. Uh, we had more ways to show the different uh, textures of the flower and translucency or opaqueness of the petals and and things like that. It just gave us more options, but it was, it was harder to do. And again, it took more time, like an hour uh, per, per... Sometimes an hour and a half yeah. to... The the one that took the longest was when Rob was still doing film and Polaroids was two and a half hours for a, a desert lily. Wow. Uh, patience. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I also would imagine, like you said, using the natural light, the difficulty in that too seems like, well, I'm not sure in a desert situation, but light changes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and especially if you're on either end of the uh, dusk or dawn type of thing, and if you're close to it, um, sunset, blue light, well, if 
five minutes makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's probably a lot of prep times and setup for you yes. then, right? Yeah, yeah, that's one reason why it took why it would take so long. Or if you have a cloud, cloudy day and the sun's coming in and out behind the clouds, that can sort of drive us nuts. Mm. But um, but yeah, if you have strobe and your light's gone down, you still can get your right. picture. But if you are relying solely on the, on the light... Um, but we've done some night pictures as well of Datura, which is a flower that that is more uh, gets pollinated at night, big white flower. And we found though that when we photographed with moonlight, full moonlight, it actually ended up looking like daylight, except that you might have stars in the background. Because you you mm. still have this round source of illumination that's about the same size as the sun, so you so you still get shadows. So, so we never did much. Uh, you know, with, the, uh, the two of you have a wealth of information in, in in photography in general, and specializing in this. Do you, do you take folks out? Do you offer any type of courses going out in the field and doing this? No, we, we haven't. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> And we've thought about offering an internship if somebody, Rob's having trouble with his back now after all this work. So if we had somebody who wanted to help, who wanted to learn and wanted to help carry things, we would, we would consider it. There you go. Anybody listening that wants to learn from two of the best out there in the, in the field, no pun intended on that one. contact yeah, them five miles and north. it's only 65 Sorry. pounds we live five miles north of the golden gate bridge so you have an idea of where we're based southern marin county okay and we were fortunate yeah. or anybody that wants to fly in <laughs> we were fortunate be because there's so much public land i, I think we read something like 40 percent of marin county is public land we have national seashore we have uh, a lot of state parks we have marin county open space we have state parks, so Golden Gate National Recreation, and there are area. a lot of different habitats in Marin County, from the ocean to the oak woodlands, and and the and uh, everything in between. So there are a lot of images in the book that are from our little county backyard, and, basically. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I want to make sure that people really at least go to your website, take a look of what's there look at some of the images that are available read some of the comments the comments are um just give you praise on your work your book so and your photos like i said it's it's pretty amazing thank stuff. you I, thank you can, can i add something to that the the book Absolutely. has um 18 short stories by 16 different authors uh, um nature writers environmental leaders and um scientists and so we, it's not showing very well though. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to have a voice for wildflowers and have a diverse voice for yeah, li- wildflowers. I, that doesn't show. No, that's, I wouldn't bother. So um, that's something that and the feedback we've gotten, and that was our intention, was that people feel that the wor- words, the stories, are as strong as the photographs. So we went to people that we really felt could speak from the heart could tell their story of what they're doing and inspire people to take action. And one of the things we wanted to make really different than many of the other books or exhibits is we also tell people what they can do to make a difference. 
There are 25 things they can do to make a difference. And it's not only about climate change. It's about land conservation, development that's destroying habitat, invasive species, and how people can volunteer to pull invasive species on public land to protect habitats, and how wildlife can't, most wildlife, land-based wildlife, will not survive without the wildflowers. And okay. so it's a multi, multi-faceted, we say it's to inspire hope and action regarding um, land conservation, climate change, and species extinction. May I show you, excuse me, can I show you one more image? Because I wanted to talk, to show you what I was talking about, yes. uh, what the contact series was. So that is okay. that oh. is light coming from the background through this beautiful flux that we found on a Point Reyes National Seashore. So you can see how different it is from the strict botanical portraits where everything is in sharp focus with a black or white background. And one of the reasons Rob yeah. got into doing that was uh, it got him off the tripod and it was much more spontaneous and oh. he never knew what he was getting um, and would play around with it with different uh, movements to see. You had to do a lot more um, frames in order to come up with and variations to come up with the one that works the best. Yeah, most stuff gets thrown away. Yeah. yeah. And as a people photographer, I don't like working on the tripod that much. And as a landscape photographer, mm-hmm. Rob was really comfortable on the tripod. And this the contact series gave him an opportunity to to break away from that. Uh, I, I want to say thank Thank you to you, Nita, because you answered one of the questions that I wanted to ask, and that was as far as what is the purpose of you doing this? And like I said, there's you list 25 things that people could do, but uh, you also answered it by saying it's really about conservation. Um, and when I hear that, it's it's to save or to make a difference or make a change. And one of the things that you said that I didn't even think about is invasive mm-hmm. invasive plants things that are not there that have been brought there whether it be from <clears throat> uh, a bird or somehow something i don't know how pollination works through that or rain or somebody just bringing their own pocket of seeds and throwing them well, out there yeah a lot of it but, uh, starts out with the horticultural they bring in a plant that they think is good for people's gardens like french broom and scotch broom which now covers acres and acres, hundreds and thousands of acres. And is a, um, I want to explain the difference between um, a non-native and a non-native invasive. Non-native plants okay. may just be here and there and not compete. An invasive can wipe out a whole ecosystem. It can completely replace it. So in Southern California, in the desert, it can be the Asian mustard, which has these monster leaves that just shades out everything else. Um, In the desert, many plants are tiny because it's very dry. Well, when you have climate change and you have your swings in in very dry years as well as very wet years, some of the invasives can get um, established because of the wet years. And and then the the seeds start to spread. Um, so it can come in on people's shoes. It can come in on tires and equipment. It can 
um, just go by the wind and birds from somebody's yard. So people have to be really careful about what they plant. And we encourage people to plant natives as much as possible. And we've been having a lot of fun with that. We have uh, um, narrowleaf milkweed, and we've had the monarch butterfly uh, larvae in our yard and been watching them develop, which was really fun, as well as um, yeah. um, they're hardier when we don't have the rain, and there's such beautiful variety. And a great resource for, if you're in California, is a website called Calscape. And calscape.org was created by the California Native Plant Society, who we co-published the book with. It's an, an amazing organization. And you can go there and find out what's native to your particular area. And you can say, I have a sunny hill in this part of California. What can I grow? What's good to grow in that area? And then where, some, where we can find some of those. There are more and more native plant nurseries that have been out getting established. Wow. You know, I think that's one thing that's is important too is to find out like I said what is native to your area. P plant those in your yard and that may bring more bees for pollinating, more hummingbirds, other types of birds and it gives you your own can I say little ecosystem mm -hmm. in your backyard with all these different plants and animals and there it is. There's there's 27 years of photography in your backyard <laughs> that you could do. Right. Yeah, we have two two pictures I think in the book that came from our our own garden. Wow. Uh, this has been fantastic. Really, really good information, and especially getting the word across that these are not just pretty pictures there there's a message behind what you're doing in your book and i i hope that people understand the importance of the wildflowers and uh native plants to your area thank you uh, oh gosh thank you well, thank you is there anything else that you want to add you know before we bid our farewells and go take some photos um well we encourage people to go to the website to help support our work that we're doing and um, to learn more through our video. And we have the behind the scenes section in both the book as well as the video. Oh, oh, oh one real important thing we neglected and I feel really bad. We co-published. Oh, I said that. The, oh, oh, you did? Yeah, I did. But you can oh. mention again. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we co-published this book with the California Native Plant Society. And so many of the places we went... We had no knowledge of, but we could contact, uh, you know, the uh, the chapters in that area, talk to people who were so generous with their time, with their knowledge, so enthusiastic about helping us find flowers that we didn't know existed or where they were. So uh, this was really a collaborative project, and I just want to acknowledge California Native Plant Society. I'm so grateful for their contribution, not only the support they gave us in publishing the book, but also the many individual members like our local chapter um, that helped make this book possible. We're really grateful for their support. And we really encourage people to join the local chapters 
um, or to go to cnps.org. And there are, there are a lot of different videos on different topics um, on their website. And you can join local chapters. And there are, there are native plant societies all over the country, not just California's. California is very active in doing research and um, and it's an amazing organization. So we encourage people to support organizations such as them and um, the Center for Biological Diversity that's doing a lot of work to protect public land and species and a variety of different organizations that you can find. Oh, um, one sort of last thing. We're also grateful for the Sierra Club and and their recognition of the work that uh, I've done over the years in conservation work and the work that Nita and I have done uh, with our Wildflower Project. We were we, we were so honored to receive the Sierra Club's uh, 2020 Ansel Adams Award for Conservation Photography. It, it's it just feels so 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 rewarding to be included in all the photographers who have, uh, in that group of photographers who, who, who have done outstanding conservation work over the, over the years. So that was something I wanted to share, our gratitude for that. Wow. Well, congratulations Thank you. on that yeah, award. Yeah, we were quite, quite tickled to get it. Yeah. And one other thing I just wanted to mention was that if you um, live in an area that has a small or medium-sized museum that might want to um, host our exhibit, they can go to, they can contact us directly, or you can go to um, exhibitenvoy.org and look for our, our exhibit um, listed there and, uh, and have, bring the exhibit local. That's exhibitenvoy, exhibitenvoy.org. And would they look that under Beauty and the Beast, California Wildflowers, or they would, could they find that under um, either one of your you names? You mean within, once they're on that website? If they go to exhibits, they'll mm -hmm. see um, listed there, there's an exhibit with a, with a poppy, photograph of a poppy. So it's pretty, pretty clear which one is the wildflower exhibit. Yeah. All right.